Wow, thank y'all so much. It feels like we've had church this morning. In fact, uh, earlier service, I uh, got up here and just kind of mentioned several people that have impacted my life. I feel like I'm at home this weekend. I feel like I'm with home folks. Uh, I did hear a new story about Brother Warren. I mean, two, two weeks ago, uh, you had a massive heart attack, right? And you had to be resuscitated. And two weeks later, you're up here on the keyboards. Wow. That's just amazing. <laughs> I don't know what kind of excuse you've used to skip church. You ain't got one anymore, ladies and gentlemen. That is awesome. And uh, I, I mentioned earlier about Brother Skip and Pastor Mike that helped me out when I was young. And then thank y'all so much for SDA allowing to utilize the gifts that God's given Laura and David Troutman. They travel with us in every event we do. And uh, I was thinking about just so many different uh, things that I've done with First Baptist and Donnie Sisk. I don't know if Donnie's in this service or the, uh, the earlier one. You know, Donnie's probably hanging from the rafters somewhere. He loves that kind of stuff. But he did an event called Awakening. I don't know if y'all remember that back in 2000. I think it was 2014 and somewhere around there. But uh, I, I know my family was impacted by that. My son was able to invite some of their friends. And that night when I had the privilege of speaking at Oak Mountain Amphitheater, uh, we had people that received Christ that now are in the NFL and one's in Major League Baseball. Here's the power of the principle that whenever the gospel is shared, things happen. Amen? Thank y'all so much for being a church that just shares the gospel. And then your pastor, Pastor David, one of the best-dressed pastors in America, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, you are a dapper gentleman, sir. Uh, and, and I mean, he's, he's been a good friend, but I, I mean, my goodness, could you, would we not agree things have been an, uh, a little topsy-turvy over the last few years? They tell, Barna says that six out of ten pastors during COVID had considered quitting. My statement is the other four were just lying, amen? I mean, it's, just, it's been a tough, tough time. And to have a pastor that has led so well and led like Jesus leads, would you just honor Pastor Davin, his family, and just kind of thank the Lord for him? Bro. That wasn't, I mean, that wasn't even that on. They did that because they loved you. And I just, I appreciate you. Thank y'all so much. Uh, I was thinking, how in the world, if I don't know you, I, I feel like I know more people than not, but if I don't know, how are we going to connect in about 20 minutes? And then I started thinking about our friend James Spann. We all love James Spann. We, 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 he's a minister of the gospel. He's a children's minister, and uh, he loves to share the gospel. And, and, and I love him because I'm a kind of a closet meteorologist. I love studying weather. I I will get through the late night news just so I can know what the weather's going to be the next day. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, I mean we, we'll do that because we're captivated by weather. And I, I've learned something about weather. It's not going to make you think I'm, I'm smart, but I, I do think just in a way of getting a connection point, here's the one thing I've learned about weather. Storms are scary. Now think about it. Now it could be when you were young and there was a thunderstorm going on or maybe even in your adult life when you get in one of those southern gully washers going up and down I-65 and, and you can't see the pavement. Something inside says, hey, this, this isn't right. 
But here's what I've learned. I, like your pastor said, for 35 years, I've, I've been involved in ministry. I'm not a, you're never going to see me on late night news. But the one thing that I've learned is not only are the, the physical storms scary, personal storms are scary. Now I'm talking about the type of storms you can't see on Doppler radar. They're not out there on the five-day business planner's forecast. And sometimes before you know it, it just pops up inside your life. It's kind of like what Shelly was saying earlier about when you're invited into your employer's office and due to the slowdown or, or being bought out or things are changing, they're having to cut back their force. All you recognize is you and your family are about to go through a storm. Or maybe it's inside the, uh, uh, the examination room and the doctor comes in and says something suspicious has popped up and I, I, it doesn't matter from then on because all you do is prepare for a storm. It's when you're set down by the one person that you thought would never let you down in this life and there's things going on and you're going to have to look at life in a different set of circumstances and, and you realize, man, this is getting different. This is getting scary. It's the, it's the late night knock on the door, the unexpected phone call or text that all of a sudden, I believe we can all relate that sometimes life gets scary. Now, I don't want to focus on the storms. Have you ever been around somebody that all they do is focus on the negative things? Aren't they the life of the party? Okay, I mean, I, I don't want to focus on those, but here's what I do want to recognize. is not only do we all go through storms, but the good news is we can have peace in the middle of our storms. You see, I want to introduce to you a, a, a glimpse in the life of Jesus because as most of us know, when Jesus came on the scene, he called 12 men to be his disciples. And he said, you know, follow me. And they left their occupations and they started following Jesus. And wherever they went, crowds just started to gather. Remember at the, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The average person was like, this is what we've been waiting on. And they started jumping on the bandwagon. And as the crowd started to grow, I'm not indicting you, but I'm telling you they acted just like I would have acted. So I'm putting myself in their shoes going, man, they started thinking this is awesome. And they started having private discussions about who was going to be the next greatest in the kingdom and who was going to be able to sit on his right side. And Man, they thought they had life tied around their little finger. And then all of a sudden, Jesus started giving the cost of discipleship. He said, you can't be one of mine unless you deny yourself and take up your cross, and only then can you follow me. And, and when he started foretelling the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of our church, you know, the, the Lord's Supper that we all participate in, Jesus foretold it in John chapter 6 as saying, you can't be mine unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, he's foretelling the Lord's Supper. But at that point, the folks were like, this is so difficult, we can't handle it. And they started jumping off the bandwagon as quickly as they had jumped on. Well, as the crowd started to scatter, Jesus in John chapter 13 invited his disciples to the upper room. It's the balcony, okay? And when Jesus got his disciples to the balcony, he told them of someone who's going to turn him in for the, to the Sanhedrin, basically betray him for 30 shekels of silver. Now, here's where you got to understand something. The one who's going to betray Jesus is not the anti-Jesus protester that's out there wherever Jesus goes. It's one of the 12 disciples. 
Judas Iscariot, the disciples' treasure, the one that's lived with them for three years, heard Jesus teach, saw Jesus' miracles. Now he's going to be the one who's going to betray Jesus. So as soon as Judas leaves, we've got 11 men in the upper room, in the balcony. Look at their situation. The, the crowds are gone. Rumors are swirling. Now they've had one of their best friends simply say, I'm out of here, and betray them. I know it's not written in Scripture, but I can't help but believe one of those 11 remaining men had to have this thought go through his head. What else can go wrong? Have you ever been there? Has it all just dumped upon you to where all you could do is throw your hands up in the air and say, what else can go wrong now? It is in this spirit that I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. It is in the same context. They've not left the upper room. And in John chapter 14, we're going to interrupt the conversation down in verse 25. So look with me down in verse 25. When Jesus is speaking, it's in the red letter edition. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Now, I want you to recognize Jesus is telling his disciples, I've already told you this before, okay? Now, go down to verse 26. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, look at the next phrase, and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. That is the second reference of Jesus telling his disciples, I've already told you this stuff before. I don't know about you, but the million-dollar question I have is what in the world has Jesus told his disciples before that at their lowest point of their life, Jesus is saying, don't forget, I've already told you this. We'll go down to verse 28. Listen to what Jesus says. We're going to skip over verse 27, and he says this. He says, you have heard me say to you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is the third reference in four verses of Jesus saying, I've already told you this before. Parents, have you ever had to tell your children something three times? On that third time, are their ears perked up? I mean, something's about to take place if they're not listening. So listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice. What Jesus is telling his disciples is he's saying, I know you don't understand this, but I've got to go to the cross. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, wait a minute, Scott. Are you trying to tell me that something that happened 2,000 years ago can somehow, some way, be relevant to my pain and my suffering in 2022? Yes, sir, I will. Yes, ma'am, I have to. Why? Because the message will never change. Jesus had to die on the cross. Jesus had to die on the cross because we all have a problem. We don't like to discuss it. We certainly don't like to admit it. But the fact of the matter is, we all have one thing in common. You may not know me. I may not know you. But we've all got one thing in common. We've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin means to fall short. It means every one of us has done something wrong. In fact, if you don't believe me, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to ask you a question. Here we go. If you've ever told a lie, ever, in your entire life, not just today, it's still pretty early, okay? But if you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise it. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Now, with your hand in the air, would you just look around the room right now? Do you see all the hands of the liars that came to church this morning? Do you see that? Now, you can drop your hands. By the way, for those of you who did not raise your hand, 
liar. Now, why, why is that? I, I want you to understand because I say that because some of you think you're the only one. You think you're the only one that's messed up. You think you're the only one that's blown it. You think you're the only one that maybe God can't forgive. I want you to understand, we've all blown it. We've all messed up. In fact, that's the reason the Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, I love to preach about the love of God. I love to preach about the forgiveness of God. But I've never read my Bible three times where it says he's loving, loving, loving. I've never read where it says three times he's forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. But you know what I do read? All the time I read he is holy, holy, holy. You can't sidestep that. We got a problem we got to discuss. I mean, we cannot tra- treat the attributes of God like it's some buffet and say, I want His grace and I want His mercy and that holiness. No, no, no. Holiness, by definition, is absolute perfection. Because He is absolutely perfect three times over, there's no way in my sinfulness I can ever come to Jesus, not even on my best day. But here's the gospel. When I could not come to Him, He came to me. You see, the gospel's not about bad people becoming good. The gospel's about dead people coming alive in Jesus. Because of my sin, I'm separated from him, never to attain the right. But Jesus, who came and lived on this planet for 33 years, he never once said, pay me. He doesn't even say, thank me. You know what he says? Follow me. Why? Because he knew his mission. He went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he did something for you you could not do for yourself. He did something for me I could not do for myself. What? He took upon himself my sin. My debt was paid by his death on the cross. That's the reason Paul says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You see, if you're sitting here this morning, I I want you to understand, I'm not talking about you're not being a good person. I'm not saying you're not even a moral person. I'm saying apart from Christ, you're apart from this living God. And you could be sitting here going, but Scott, you don't understand. What I'm searching for, I simply cannot find it. I understand. In fact, I I want you to know my greatest fear about America is is not the price of gas. My greatest fear is not what's going to happen Tuesday, even though that's pretty scary to think about it. My greatest fear in America is, I'm going to bring it down to Alabama, the buckle of the Bible Belt. Do you know seven out of eight Alabamians say, listen to this, say they believe in a personal God? I'm dealing with a group of people. You're in you're, you're First Baptist Church Pelham. We're the buckle of the Bible belt. It, it's my greatest fear is I'm not dealing with a group of people who don't know about God, but a large majority of Alabamians don't know God. You could be sitting here this morning. you got all the facts in your head. I, I don't want to scare you, but I do want to bring in rea- reality that the, according to Scripture, the demons in the pit of hell recognize there's a God. They know Jesus died on the cross. So what is the disconnect? Why is it that you may be sitting here this morning going, I've tried religion. I'll appease my parents. I'll appease my spouse. I'll I'll be okay with my neighbors and I'll show up. But I'm not getting anything out of it. Look with me down in verse 27. You notice I skipped over that. Let's go to verse 27 and listen to what Jesus says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I think that's the word that people are searching for. It's the word peace, and so many of us get it confused. We live in a society that says if you have more stuff, if you have more things to do, that's what you're going to be searching for. Can we not all agree on this one fact? We all have too much stuff. Amen? 
We all have to, where else but America can you find a fast food restaurant right next door to a fast weight loss clinic? You know what I'm saying? Only in America can you put it on and take it off all on the same day. It's not more stuff. I don't think God's up there going, Americans need more experience. If you had more pleasure, that's what you would have. If all life was about was fame and fortune and pleasure, let's be honest, Hollywood would be the bastion of tranquility. There would be self-help books out there of get to Hollywood and find yourself, and all you have to do is watch the news programs. All you have to do is read the online stories. It is just story after story of lives unraveling before our eyes. Probably one of the saddest interviews I've ever read in my life was in GQ magazine. They were interviewing a guy by the name of Harrison Ford. Now, if you know him, you know he's one of Hollywood's most successful movie stars. His his movies have grossed over $6 billion. And in this interview, they asked him a question to which Harrison Ford said, I've come to the point of realizing you only want out of life what you don't have. The reporter followed it up by saying, what is it that you don't have? And Harrison Ford's had a one-word response, peace. You know what Jesus says? What does it profit a person if you can gain the entire world and lose your own soul? See, some of you are here this morning, and man, you're, you're doing the best you can to grab that rung of social ladder. You're trying to provide, and you're saying, I'm just this far away from where I really want. And Jesus is saying what you really want is something you can't buy in some bottle, you can't find in some salary, you can't even find it in some relationship on this side of glory. He's saying, I'll give you peace. Now, if you think about that word peace, how do I describe peace? I, I mean, peace is one of those words we all want, but how do I describe it? And then I realize, you know, I travel a lot. So I've realized, do, you, do you want to know who has the softest pillows at night? It's not the Marriott's. It's not the Hilton's. It's not the MyPillow.com guy, okay? Do you, do you know who has the softest pillow at night? It's any pillow. When you place your head upon it knowing you have peace with a holy God. You see, there was a philosopher who said a long time ago that in the heart of every human there is a vacuum-shaped place that only the love of God can fill. And if you're in this room and you know about him, you've tried morality, you've tried religion, but he's never changed your life. In just a few moments, there's a call that's going to go out for you to receive Christ, not to receive a denomination, not to receive a a set of rules. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you uh, uh, religious. Jesus died on the cross to make you righteous, and he wants to come inside your life and allow you to experience it. And the only thing you've got to step over is a word called pride. Now, I know we don't like that word pride, so let me tell you what's going to happen. There's a battle that's going to take place between image and integrity. Image is what other people think about you. I'll be totally honest with you, image by itself is not bad. It dictates to us what we wear, how we act, where we go. Image, listen to me, image by itself is not bad, what people think about you. The only problem exists is when your image overtakes your integrity. Let me explain the difference. Image is what other people think about you. Integrity is who you are. So in just a few moments when we stand, there's a time of invitation, and you're sitting there, and you know God is calling you to himself, and he's drawing you to himself. If the first thing that goes through your head is, if I respond, what will other people think? Eh, Wrong question. Don't worry about your image. You focus on your integrity. Because wouldn't it be great if I were to stand up here this morning and tell you that only people without Jesus go through bad days? 
Wouldn't that be great if I were to say, you come to Jesus this morning, you'll never have another storm in your life. Man, if that was the case, if I preached that, they'd be lined up from here to Clanton saying, I want some of that, okay? Now, do you know that there are some preachers that have that as their theology? They say, you come to Jesus, you'll never have another bad day. I've only got one problem with that theology. <laughs> it's wrong, amen? Man, I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. They'll say, you come to Jesus, you'll, you'll never have a bad day. I'll look at the Apostle Paul. He had some bad days. I think about the one, Jesus, he's the perfect person. Yeah, and you think about it, if you're perfect, shouldn't you get out of here without any problems? But you know what the Bible calls him? A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. So, so where's the difference? Why is in the world that I'm standing up here this morning, and I'm trying to tell you how you can have peace in the middle of your storms, and I know how some of you are thinking. You're going, oh, I know how this is. This is the evangelist. Let's go out there and live the victorious Christian life. How can we do that when we have been beaten and battered and bruised by the storms of this life? It's because it's not about us. It's all about him. If you'll just follow with me down to verse 27, go with me there and don't forget what I were talking about. Let's go to the words of Jesus. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Look at the next phrase. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Notice what Jesus is saying. It's not as the world deals with you. You know how the world deals with us? They put a band-aid on it and say, get out of here. Jesus says, it's not as the world gives that I give unto you. Listen to the next phrase. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let me try something with you. Let not your heart be troubled. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, let not your heart be troubled? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. And I'm not talking about Hannity on Fox, okay? But in churches, most of us will hear that at a Christian's funeral. Pastors love to use John chapter 14, but we don't use verse 27. We use John 14, 1. Let, let, let me put a bow on this, and then we're done, okay? If you don't mind, put your thumb right there in John 14, 27, and I want you to go back to John 14, 1. Listen to what Jesus says here, okay? Re remember when I said he's already told these disciples this before? This is the beginning. So we're going back to the beginning, and, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. It is the same grammatical structure as in verse 27. So Jesus is repeating himself in verse 27 of what he started in verse 1. So he says, let not not your heart be troubled, you believe in God. If he was looking at us at First Baptist Church Pelham, he'd be looking at us saying, y'all believe in God? Good job. Not enough. If we're experiencing the peace in the middle of the storms, listen how he goes on to say, believe also in me. Put your faith and your trust in me. And I know I'm speaking to some of you going, Scott, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. Look, look. We live in a fallen creation. The Bible says creation moans because of the fall. What happened in the Garden of Eden still impacts us today. And I'm not saying God's not sovereign. I'm not saying God's not totally in control. He is totally in control. But because we live in a fallen creation, stuff happens. When stuff happens, you know what it does? It does not take me away from my focus on Jesus. You know why? Because he's never lost control. I, if Jesus ever lost control, I don't know, I'd go start raving mad. You say, well, everybody loses control. Jesus has never lost control. You say, well, he died. Surely when he died, he lost control. No, 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 can I remind you of something? When Jesus died, where did they place his body? Where? Come on, tomb. what type of a tomb? A borrow. You only borrow something with the intention of giving it back. Amen.
Amen. I, I, I want you to understand, he didn't lose control. If you want to think about something this afternoon, our God loved you so much, he'd rather die than to live without you. And they tore his body off the cross, and they placed it inside some borrowed tomb. They put a big stone in front of it. The whole world seemed to whisper, it's over, he's out of here. But on the third day, the father simply said, arise, my love, and the stone was rolled away. Listen to me, not to let Jesus out. He was not crumped up inside that tomb, wondering if we were going to forget about it. The stone was rolled away, not to let him out, but to let us go in and find that he who went in is no longer in. Ladies and gentlemen, he's out. He came to this earth as a suffering servant. He went to the tomb as a crucified Christ. But I stand before you today, say on the third day, he arose the exalted son of the living God. And you know what Paul says? That God hath highly exalted him, given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things of heaven, of things of earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue will declare Jesus Christ is what? To the glory of God the Father. You see, he's not dead. You better understand this. If it was some moldable plastic figure that we bow to every once in a while, I'd say we better get a life. But because we know our God is victorious over the grave, it has no sting left on us. That we understand that He is God Almighty. Now, I know some of you out there saying, I wish I could be that excited. Excitement is not about a personality. I just drink too much caffeine, okay? It is not about a personality. You know what it's about? It's about your priority. It is about your focus in your life. We're all going to go through storms. It's what you're focusing on. Anybody got a fear of flying? Let me see your hands. You got a fear? Don't be afraid now. Just if you have a fear of flying. Okay, some of you, you are my people. I, I, have, I, I have a fear of flying. I I, I have now flown 4.1 million miles with Delta Airlines. That's not something to be congratulated. That's something to get your pity for, okay? Because you know what Delta stands for? Delivering every living thing to Atlanta, all right? So I, when I die, I'm going to have an hour and a half layover in Atlanta. I told my wife. I said, just get ready. She said, we'll call that purgatory. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I had to, um, true story, I had to fly, and uh, it was raining, Got on the plane, Birmingham, got a window seat. A little nervous. I, still, I mean, I, I still get nervous. I'm not afraid of being dead. It's the getting dead that kind of concerns me, okay? 30,000 feet in three seconds is not my way to go. I'm just telling you. So I was sitting there, and the pilot came across the intercom. The truth, I mean, this is what he said. I, y'all go, oh, that's a preacher story. No, no, this happened. The pilot came across the intercom, gave us his greeting, and then he ended the statement by saying that he said these words. He said, and folks were about to attempt to take off. I was like, if we're going to attempt it, why not go all the way, okay? There's not a rest stop on the runway. Let's give it all we got. And so he took us. He must have been a former fighter pilot because he took us straight up. We hit those clouds head on. The plane was. How many of you have ever been flying in a storm? Let me see your hands. Ah, oh, now you see what I'm. Do I mean, there was no one moving around. No, I mean, it, do you remember how deathly silent it was during those times? I wish I could tell you I was being spiritual. I was scared, stinking to death. Somebody bumped into me, and I was like, we're going down. I mean, yeah, I, I thought it was over. I mean, that plane was bumping and, and, and rocking, and then it happened. And I promise you, with my hand in the air, I'd never thought about this before. It was on that morning that I realized just as soon as the plane broke through the last storm cloud, just above the storm clouds, the sun was shining. I had never thought about that before in my life. Here's what I've realized. Sun always shines. 
Now, I know you're sitting there going, Scott, fall back one hour. The sun was still shining. The sun never takes a day off, never shows up late. And not one of us inside this room woke up with an anxiety attack wondering if that ball of energy is going to be there this morning. Jesus says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Place your faith and your trust in me that when the storms of this life hit you, you don't lose your focus. You see, the Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, he says, lo, I will be with you what? Can you think about a time not defined by that term always? When life's going great, he's there. But when life's falling apart, he's still there. Some are here this morning, you've never experienced Jesus. Now listen, he's, he's the God of multiple choice for you. If, if you're an American, you had to pick, you'd say, okay, that's, but he, all he is is a religious figure. He's never changed your life. And this morning, if you're inside this room and Jesus has never changed your life, the greatest privilege I could ever have is introduced to you, the one that changed mine. It's not, it's not a religion. It's not a principles of life. It's the risen King of Kings. And all he has is, you know, the Bible says, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that word, whosoever, because that whosoever means me. Whosoever means you. It means wherever your situation you're in, whatever you've gone through, wherever you find yourself, he is saying, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word call means to stretch forth. Be like if you were in a body of water and you're about to drown, and right before you went under, a life preserver hit the top of the water. You know what you're going to do. You're going to grab the life preserver. Why? Because you need to be saved. Now, you could be sitting here saying, wait a minute, if I grab the life preserver, I'm saving myself. No, you're not saving yourself. You're drowning. You're drowning. You're trusting the life preserver. Now, listen to me. I'm not the life preserver. Jesus just uses things like this to throw the life. Jesus is who we're talking about. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, if you're in this room, you've never received Christ. I'm not saying you've never been religious. I'm not saying you've never tried to be moral. I'm saying that if Jesus has never changed your life right there where you're sitting, I'm going to pray this prayer out loud, and I'm not going to ask you to say one word with your lips right now. I'm going to ask you to pray it inside your heart. The person beside you will not know what's going on, but the Bible says there's rejoicing the presence of God. That means angels are going to throw a party on your behalf this morning when you receive Jesus into your life. So as I pray it out loud, I'm going to invite you right there in your own space just to talk to God the Father. Don't worry about reciting every word and getting every word correctly. You just, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to come into your life. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you peace. So today, as I pray it out loud, would you just talk to God right there where you are? Heads are going to be bowed and eyes are going to be closed. No one's going to really be looking around and wondering what's going on. But right there, as I pray this prayer out loud, would you just pray it inside your heart? It goes like this. Dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me. To the point you sent your son to die on the cross for me. And on the third day, you resurrected so I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I receive you into my life. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Help me to love you. Thank you 
With every head's bowed, every eye is closed, I'm going to ask our invitational team to kind of come on up and get ready as we go into this time of invitation. I'm not adding anything to this right now. If you sincerely, earnestly prayed that prayer, no one, I repeat, no one can ever take Jesus Christ away from you. But can I tell you right now, I'm not the one who judges salvation. As, as I love people and as I love to travel around, I have nothing to do with salvation. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. So without adding anything to it, in just a few moments, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to pray. And then after we pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, Pastor Davin's going to be here at the front. Other members of our staff's going to be here at the front. And I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. I'm going to ask you to step out. If you're in the middle, scoot out. They'll let you out. If you're on the end, you step out. And I'm going to ask you to come to the front of this auditorium, grab these men's hand, and just simply say, I prayed to receive Jesus this morning. You're saying you're adding something to it. No, no, no. I'm not adding anything to it. But I am going to tell you this, that if you're not willing to step out and tell these people that you're a follower of Jesus, this church, if you're not going to tell them you're a follower of Jesus, do you think you're going to be able to go back to your school, go back to your home, go back to your business and live for Jesus in a world that doesn't love him? I, I want you to realize you may be the only one that comes and, and allow that to sink into your mind right now. It's going to be only you that comes forward. I'd rather it be like that than for you to sit back, wait on everyone else to make their decision, and then you're not following Jesus. You're just following another crowd. I want to remind you, Jesus never once says in Scripture, follow my followers. You know what Jesus says? Follow me. So as soon as we stand, if you prayed that prayer, earnestly, sincerely prayed that prayer, as soon as we stand, I'm going to invite you to step out, come forward, grab that hand, and say, I pray to receive Jesus. Others may be here this morning saying, man, it's time for us to join this fellowship. We've been visiting for a while. We've got to start planting roots. Some are here this morning saying, there's some things going on in my life. I'm going through a storm, and I'm just going to place it at the altar. Whatever Christ is speaking to your heart about, would we stop worrying about our image? Today, ladies and gentlemen, let's be, let's be filled with integrity before the gospel, before Jesus, as he speaks to our heart, say yes to him. We're going to pray and then we're going to stand. Father, right now across this room, as you speak, help us to listen. As you call, help us to obey. I pray for everyone that just prayed that prayer. Will you give them boldness and guts like they've never known before? Father, this morning during this invitation, it's our prayer that you show up and you show off for your glory. And we pray our prayer in the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen.